You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. I'm preaching today on the subject of the cost of ignoring a heavenly vision. In Acts 26, verse 19, Paul shares his vision with King Agrippa. When he comes to the end of sharing his testimony, sharing his vision, in verse 19 he makes this statement. He says to King Agrippa, he said, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. And I want you to understand something. You and I need to understand that God has a will. He has a purpose. He has a direction. He has a plan for every single one of our lives. Some of you are running from God. That's why you can't worship. Why would you worship somebody you're running from? We looked, at King, we looked at Elijah when he came into contact with King Ahab and Jezebel, and the Bible says that, that Elijah ran. He ran and he hid in a cave because God had a will and a purpose for his life, but Elijah was running. He was running from God's call, God's vision, God's plan, God's purpose, God's will for his life. And you may be running today. You see, we can't worship what we're running from. We can't worship if we're living in disobedience. And some of you today, you may be living in habitual, willful disobedience. It's impossible for you to worship. So this thing of God having a vision, God having a purpose and a plan for your life. Elijah ran. He ran from Ahab. He ran from Jezebel. And he was hiding out in a cave. He was running from God's will, God's plan, God's purpose for his life. He was in a cave. In fact, in that cave, God comes to him and God says, what are you doing here? Why are you here, Elijah? And Elijah was there because Elijah was afraid. Now, God provided for Elijah. And we said this, there's a principle here that God's provisions are not always God's approval. Just because God is providing for you doesn't mean that God is happy with you or approving of what you are, where you are and what you're doing right now. Sometimes we think that because of God's provisions that it's God's approval, and it's not. And so here we have this. And then finally we said this, that a lot of us, we're not only running from God, we're hiding out from God, we're living in fear of God's vision for our lives. And the reality is that while we're living there, we seem to think that we can freeze frame God. We can put God on pause. Some of you have great ministry opportunities, places of service. But for many of us in this room, we never plug our life into anything. We're not involved in the food pantry. We're not involved in the clothing closet. We're not involved in homeless ministry. We're not involved in homebound ministry. We're not really involved in much of anything. We have put our life on pause, on freeze frame, and we have also said to God, God, not right now, later. Listen, you and I never can say to God, wait. Or later, God. And so here... Paul is obedient unto the heavenly vision. But I want you to hear me. There's a cost when you and I ignore that heavenly vision. You see, God has a will and a purpose and a plan for every single life in this room. 
But the reality is that if you and I are not careful, we can ignore that heavenly vision. We can simply say to God, God, not right now, or God, no, no, I can't do that, or whatever it may be, and automatically we begin to find ourselves outside the will of God. So the high cost of ignoring a heavenly vision. Now I want you to take your Bibles and look at Proverbs 29, verse 18. In Proverbs 29, verse 18, and you'll remember the King James Version, because we've heard this verse so many times. But in the NIV, in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, the writer here, and if it's Solomon, then we'll we'll receive it as such, but ultimately it's the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we just pray right now that you wrap your arms around us. God, there's something that you want to say, and we pray that you'll let it be done. In Proverbs 29, 18, the writer here says, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Now, in the King James Version, it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. And that word there in the Hebrew is hazon. It is this idea of God's revelation, God's vision, God's word, God's thoughts. Think about that. Your creator, his thoughts, his words, his level of communication, his intimacy, his purpose, his plan, his agenda. You see, it's all about him. And so what the writer is saying here is that God has a vision for our lives. Jesus was always going off away from the crowd, sometimes away from his own disciples, because he was always consumed with this, spending time with the Father. Jesus was always going off to hear from God the Father. You see, so what the Bible here is saying, what the writer is saying, without that intimacy with our Creator, without hearing and tuning into His thoughts, His words, His, His communication, then listen, in essence, we perish. And we've talked about the importance of that. We've looked at the life of the Apostle Paul. We've, you can look at Moses. Moses, listen, ended up in the wilderness, but it was there. He, became, he came into an intimate fellowship with God. God began to sense the burden. I mean, Moses began to sense the burden of God. God was burdened for the Hebrew people there in captivity in Egypt. And so God begins to share that burden as he draws in an intimate fellowship with Moses. He begins to put his burden into the heart of Moses and Moses ultimately becomes the vessel of the vehicle by which God is trying to deliver his people. And it was a very, very difficult task. Nehemiah, when Nehemiah began to feel the burden of the fact that the walls of Jericho, the walls of Jerusalem were down, that people were living in heartache and despair, God began to share his burden, putting it on the heart of Nehemiah. Nehemiah began to catch the burden of God as he drew intimately with God, and ultimately he began to have a vision for what God's purpose was for his life. Paul understood that. Paul told Timothy, even at his death, he said, I have fought a good fight, I finished my course, which means I have completed God's heavenly vision. Do you and I understand how God communicates to us? You see, this is critical. God draws us into a relationship. And in that relationship, He draws us into intimate communication, kononia in the Greek. 
then God begins to share His heart. Then as we begin to sense the heart of God, we begin to sense the burden of God. Once we feel the burden of God, then we begin to feel a vision and a direction for our lives. Once we begin to to fulfill that heavenly vision, then there begins to be a cost. The cost of a worship leader is there are times that you lead that people are not interested. Their heart's not in it. I know because I've been preaching for 30-something years. It's a reality of what we do up here. But the Bible says, the writer says here, Proverbs 29, 18, but without vision, he brings in a second word there, and it's this word perish. In the, Greek, in the Hebrew here, it's parah. Parah. It is the picture of letting loose the reins or letting go. You know what the Bible says here, what the writer was trying to say, is that God wants to communicate to you and I His vision, His purpose, His plan, His agenda for our life. God's trying to communicate to us. But you know what we do? We do what some of us do in worship. We do that right there. We just look up toward God. We say, God, I don't want to hear it. God, you don't know what you're asking. God, that's going to cost me too much. God, I, don't, I can't do that, God. And you see, we begin to give God all those excuses. In essence, we put our fingers in our ears. We say, God, I don't want to hear it. God, that's enough. Now, what does God do with that individual? You know what God does? The Bible says that word perish, without that intimate communication between God and His, and his people, then in essence, God drops the reins. In the Hebrew, it means to let loose or to let go. It's the letting go of reins. It's what a cowboy. It's interesting here today. It's good to see Sherry Ingalls here. And I thought about you. I thought about Sherry when I was looking at this. Because they love horses. In fact, Bobby, one time, if I remember, what his, he and his horse were hit by a car. It's caused him problems ever since. But the picture here is is without vision, without God's input into our lives, that what God will finally do, listen, He just drops the reins. He just lets go the reins. And, when, and people who understand a horse know this, that when a horse is allowed to go on his own, then he's going to be driven, that horse will be driven by his own animal cravings and instincts and desires and appetites. All of a sudden, this animal's not under the control of the one who sits on his back. Now this animal is allowed to wander, and he's naturally going to wander against his animal desires. This is America today. Billy Graham this past week had a full page, our full page ad on Wall Street that said these are critical times. Same sex marriage, abortion, homosexuality, the nation of Israel, all these are critical issues. And we better pray long and hard before we go in there to vote. My friend, I love what Martin Luther King Jr. said, but I'm afraid it's not listened much anymore. Martin Luther King Jr. said years ago, he said, I long for a day when my children will be judged by the, by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. May we not vote based on the color of a man's skin, but on the content of character. 
And so the writer is saying here, the writer here is saying to you and I that if we are not careful, and he's speaking here to lost people even, that what God does in a man's life, in a woman's life, is finally God will just simply drop the reins and allow that man or woman to naturally now follow their own animal instincts. The flesh. He lets go. That word perish means to let go. It's when God lets go of the reins of a man or a woman's life and He just allows them to go the way they're going to go. Now for the lost man or the lost woman, that means that the broad road leads to destruction. You know, I've said a lot of times when you come into this sanctuary and God begins to deal in your heart and He begins to convict your heart. He begins to weigh heavy on your heart and you realize, God, I need to, I need to open up my heart and life. I need to allow you to come into my life. But you begin to resist that and you resist it and you resist it and you say, God, not today, not right now. This is not the right service. I'm not going to do it today. And over and over again you say, no God, no God, no God, no God. The heart becomes calloused and hard. And one day you walk out those doors and the Holy Spirit never speaks again. Why? Because God lets us go. In Genesis 6, 3, it says, God says, I will not always strive with a man. God doesn't always strive with us. God won't always wrestle with you. You don't come to Christ on your schedule. You come on God's. And so this is very critical here. In Isaiah 41, 11, it says, God said here, He said, They that strive with me shall perish. You see, some people, religion, church, Bible, all of these things are just a joke to them. You just laugh and joke, you know. And, but one second after death, there's no joking anymore. preacher years ago made this, said he was called to the home of a man, a senior adult man. Said he went to that home and he said he got out of his vehicle and he got out of his vehicle. He heard the scream of that senior adult man. That man was screaming. He said he walked into that house. He walked into that room where this man lay dying and he was pushing with his feet up in the bed. And he said he was pushing so hard that he had ground his head, his scalp into the headboard of that bed to the point that it was now bleeding and he was saying, they're coming to get me, they're coming. And he was screaming. He said he watched that man go into eternity. When I was a young man, about 16 years of age, I was with a man who died. I watched that man die and I watched fear come into his face as I believe he was standing at the brink of eternity. And it shook me and God used that to call me into ministry. Some of you, God needs to wake you up. Some of you, God needs to get a hold of you. Some of you live in drunken, you're just drunks. Some of you are addicted to alcohol. Some of you are addicted to drugs. Some of you are addicted to sexual promiscuity and pornography and you're held in bondage. Why? Because God's just let go of the reins. He's just allowing you to go, allowing you to follow that animalistic, that, 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 that fleshly desire that just continues as our enemy does, driving you farther and farther away from God. Some people smile and they'll look at a service like this and they'll just kind of be patronizing in some ways. And, but I want you to know something. I've seen a lot of people die. 
Some of you would do your world of good to watch somebody die, watch them go into eternity. And I'm not talking about this morphine-induced death process that we've created in America. Nobody in America dies the way they used to. I can tell you why, because the medical community dopes everybody up so much that we don't know what they're seeing or what they're doing. But listen, one second after morphine-induced coma or whatever they're in, and they wake up on the other side of eternity, hear me, it will be standing before a holy God. And God loves you. God's speaking to you. He's reaching out to you today. One preacher said years ago, in fact, I heard this man last Sunday night. He used to say all the time, he said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Think about that for a minute. That's a frightening thought. In other words, God can give one of you, God can give a man or a woman up. He can just say, no, you can be a lost man today. And you've been resisting God. You've been saying, no, God, no, God, no, God. In Proverbs 29.1, it says, A man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed and without remedy. The most frightening thought in the world is there could be a lost man or woman here who's never given their heart and life to Christ, who, listen, God is dropping the reins. They've resisted over and over and over again. You see, sin will take you farther than you want to go. You know what that means? That means when you and I are living a life of sin, when God drops the reins and He allows the old flesh and that old sinful desire, that old sinful nature of ours begin to drive us, it means that we're no longer in control. God's no longer in control. Sin is in control. And sin will take you and I farther than we want to go. We never intended to go that far. Think about it. It'll take you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll take you to a destination that you don't want to go. This is the way our enemy works. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. In other words, what happens is, is that sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you there longer than you want to stay. And listen, it'll cost you more than you want to pay. It'll cost you in marriage. It'll cost you in relationships. It'll cost you in health. It'll cost you and cost you and cost you. Many a homeless man's come to that door, gotten into a conversation with me. And in the middle of that conversation, I'd finally look at him and say, Sir, can I ask you something? How old are you? Often a homeless man look at me and sometimes he'd get tears in his eyes and he'd say, Brother Jeff, he said, let me ask you first. How old are you? I said, well, I'm 56. He said, Brother Jeff, I'm younger than you are. But he looked 20 years older. Why? Because that's our enemy. That's the way our enemy works. And once God lets go of those reins, all of a sudden that sinful nature now is allowed to take you wherever you want to go and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. It'll cost you in relationships. One drink, one drug, one relationship that you thought you could control. I can control it, Mom. Leave me alone. Leave me alone, Dad. I can handle my liquor. I can handle a little marijuana. My friend, your enemy, the devil, knows that marijuana is never enough. 
He'll get you on crystal crack. He'll get you on crystal meth. He'll get you on crack. He'll just take you down a road. He sees sin will always take you farther than you want to go. We're just petting. We're just having a little bit of a, an encounter. We're not, we're not going to go all the way. Oh, yes, you will, because I know my enemy, the devil. He's right there in the car with you. He knows exactly what he's about. Well, it's just one beer. I'm just going to drink this one beer. It's never one beer. I know my enemy. It's two six-packs, then it's wine, then it's liquor, and then it's more and more because it takes more and more. See, my enemy will take you farther than you want to go, and he'll, his price tag will cost you more than you ever would want to pay. Hear me, you can't control sin. Do you know that? Whether you're saved or lost, you can't control sin. Only the Holy Spirit can control sin. You can't control the devil. You know what Jesus said about the devil? He called him a strong man. And the only one that can bind the strong man is the God man. You see, what happens in your life and in my life, God says, that's enough, that's it. If you're lost here today, God may drop the reins on your life. He may say, that's it. He'll just let you go with your old sinful nature because he knows our enemy, the devil, will take you and take you and take you. Finally, he will destroy you. And if you're a Christian today, never think that the devil God is not about trying to destroy you as well. God can give up. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32, we find God saying this. Listen, verse 24, just listen to this. In verse 24, Romans 1, it said, God gave them over in sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. I can tell you this much, folks. It's not just homosexuality. This country's been in a sexual revolution, and it's unbelievable what is on ABC, NBC, and CBS, what is on mainline TV. Had you, told, had you told people 50 years ago, if you took 100 years ago, if you'd have gone 50 years ago, if you'd have gone when I was a little boy in first grade and took that generation and brought them and set them down in front of a TV, at primetime TV, they would have stood up just shocked. They would have walked to Hollywood to send a message. They would have said no to every sponsor. I was watching this, well, I wasn't watching it, I was flipping the channels and it showed the scene of two men in a bed. And I thought, well, I wonder who sponsors this. Ford, Dodge, Progresso Soup. I started just registering them and I thought to myself, I'll never drive another Ford. I'll never drive a Dodge and I'll never put an ounce of Progresso Soup in my body. But you see what happens to our enemy is good. He gets us used to the dark. He not only will take you, he'll take a whole nation and he'll just move them, move them, move them. And all of a sudden we wake up one day and we look around and say, my God, what has happened to us? No wonder we don't worship. For a lot of you, the truth of the matter is you're watching these 30-minute sitcoms and how can you worship a holy God when you're watching that kind of stuff, living that kind of life? How can you worship God when you never pray? You never spend time in the Word of God. How can you worship God when you allow the people around you to die and go to hell and never say a word to them? It doesn't surprise me. Listen, listen closely. Let me tell you one thing about your pastor. It doesn't matter to me if we close this church. I can preach on a street corner just as easily. I can do this. Probably get a pretty good offering. 
Maybe I need to be on a street corner saying, we'll preach for food. God loves you and I too much. God's not worried about this institution. God's not worried about this newly renovated building here. God's not worried about uh, this, this, this establishment, these facilities, and whether they look nice or whether we pay our bills. God's worried about the body of believers that is sitting here. You're the church. You're the ecclesia, the ekkaleo in Greek, the called out ones. But God can give up. God can drop the, drop the reins and you say, yeah, but he'll never do it with a church. He did it with Laodicea and he threatened to do it with Thyatira. God can simply say, no, that's enough, no more. In Romans chapter 1 verse 24 said, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 26, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. Even in the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Furthermore, verse 28, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what they ought not to do. Does that sound familiar. God will turn His back not only on people, but He'll turn His back on a nation. Verse 32, Paul continues, although they know God's righteous decrees that know that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. I don't want my president on the view I don't want him in late night TV. I want him in his prayer closet. I don't care who, what he is or which one is the president a month from now. I'm tired of Hollywood driving the politics of this country. I wish to God that God would pick up the reins again of America and begin to take control of this land, but he'll probably do it through the church and the church is dead the church has lost her credibility because she's become so worldly. And God gave them over. And you could be here today, you're a man, a woman, a young person today, and God could give you up. Years ago, there was a famous evangelist, a man by the name of J. Harold Smith. J. Harold Smith would come down and he would, he would walk down into the congregation during the invitation. He would begin to walk up to people and he would ask them, are you a Christian? Are you saved? Do you know Jesus? If you died, do you know you'd go to heaven? He would make his way up through the crowd. He came to a certain point that he came to a, a family of three. They were sitting on his right, husband and wife and a daughter, a, their only child, a 16-year-old girl. Her name was Katie. He walked over, he spoke to the dad. He said, Dad, do you know you're saved? And dad said, yes, I do. He walked to the mom and said, Mom, are you saved? She said, yes, I do. I know I am. You know you'd go to heaven if you die. She smiled and said, yes, Pastor, I know it would. He came to Katie, 16-year-old Katie. Katie was sitting there. She had all the way through the service, just ignored him. Looked like she was just apathetic and indifferent, just like some of you are. And he looked at Katie and he said, he said, young lady, could I ask you a question? If you die, do you know you'd go to heaven? She looked at him and said, with a coldness and a hardness in her soul, she said, leave me alone. I don't care anything about that. I don't believe it. J. Harold Smith, this famous evangelist, said that after the service, 
People milled around for a while. People hang around the church for a long time. When all of a sudden a man, one of the deacons, came back to the church, came in, he's, he just literally was just, just could hardly breathe. And he, he said, Pastor, he said, Pastor, he said, uh, there's been an accident. And he called the names of this family. He said, they've been in an accident. And he said, uh, the car is upside down and Katie, the 16-year-old, is trapped in it. J. Harold Smith said that some of his leadership, he himself got out and they went down this old country road to where a group of drunks had just hit this vehicle and hit it as it was turning off this main road onto an old country road. They just, they just broadsided it and sent it flipping end over end, over and over. Mom and dad, mom and dad were able to get out of the vehicle, but Katie was trapped and he said her feet were trapped up under the back, she was, under the, she was on the back seat, but she was hanging upside down. Her feet were caught up under the front seat. So they couldn't get her out for nothing. He said that vehicle was covered in gas. He said they were trying desperately, still trying to wait for emergency vehicles to get there, and they were trying to get up in there. Men from the church began to get up in there and trying to get that. And said Katie was, Katie was coherent, and Katie was screaming, please get me out. Please get me out. J. Harold Smith said, one of those drunks, you know drunks always live. You ever notice a drunk never gets hurt in a car accident? said one of those drunks lit a cigarette. In a moment, that car was inflamed, ignited. Said those men tried desperately, but there was no hope. All of a sudden, Katie was screaming. J. Harold Smith said Katie screamed her way right into eternity. He said, but he'll never forget this. He said, that mother. She said, Katie, Katie, pray. Pray, Katie. Katie said, Mom, I can't. I can't. God will give up on a people. God will give up on a nation. God will give up on you. God will drop the reins on your life and He'll allow you to go your old willful, defiant way. And I can promise you this much. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you far more than you ever wanted to pay. And God will turn His back on a nation. I believe outside of America, God may be dropping the reins on America. America's defiant, we're disobedient, we're immoral, we're ungodly, we're unethical. There's nothing good about America much anymore. Alexis de Tocqueville said in Democracy in America, he said America's great because she's good. If she ceases to be good, she'll cease to be great. My friend, we are steadily becoming, we are steadily becoming a horrible word to the rest of the world. And God can drop the reins. God can say, that's enough. And He may be saying that to you right now. He may be right now on the verge of just simply letting you go. God has proven Himself. He's answered your prayers. He's loved you. He's pleaded through an old grandma for you. He's pleaded through a preacher for you. He's pleaded through a Sunday school teacher for you. He's done everything possible, but some of you are like Jonah. You know what you're saying? You're like Jonah. You remember Jonah? Before Jonah repented, he just simply said to those people on that ship, he said, throw me overboard. And you know what they did? They threw him overboard, and God can throw you overboard. He can let go of you.
Some of you in this room have heard sermon after sermon. The reality is your heart is hard as no telling what. Some of you senior adults. Some of you senior adults, I'm gonna be all in all on, I'm gonna be honest with you. You may leave this church. Some of you senior adults need to get saved. Because I don't see no Jesus in you. Some of you young people, some of you young parents, we got people that are not here today. Some of them need to be saved. Some of you need to be saved. Some of you young people, some of you youth need to be saved. But you know what's happening? Your heart is getting, your heart is like America. Your heart is getting harder and harder and colder and colder. And one day when God does this, listen. You hear that? One day God does that through the preaching of His Word. God does that through the Scripture. God does that through a godly friend, a witness. God does that through an old grandmother that's been pleading for your heart and soul. God does that, men, for some of you men that are defiant and rebellious and, and, and God's using your wife to try to reach you. God does that and one day, listen. You never hear that sound again. God says, that's it. Listen to Proverbs 29 in the King James. He that hardeneth his heart. He that hardens his heart. He defiantly takes his will and he says, God, leave me alone. I'm enjoying life. I'm having a good time. Leave me alone. Maybe one day, someday, but not today, God. He that hardeneth his heart stiffens his neck. You ever see a child bow their neck up? You ever see somebody bow their neck? Stiffens his neck. Listen to these next words. Suddenly is cut off and without remedy. That means without hope. That means it's like a doctor when he comes in, looks at your chart, says you have pancreatic cancer, get your household in order because you're getting ready to die. That means there's no hope. And I want you to hear something this morning. God loves you too much. God's, listen, God's done everything that He can. He has done absolutely everything He can to keep you out of hell. He can't do anything else. As the old saying goes, the ball's in your court now. You'll make that decision. I don't blame our praise team. I feel sorry for them. They endlessly put up with people griping and complaining, fingers in the ears and everything else. It amazes me. People listen to a concert, ball games. We can be invaded by all kinds of sounds and noises, but man, they just endlessly, day after day, week after week, month after month. I talked to a pastor I hadn't seen in years. He sat down at a growing dynamic church in this county. He said, I, I am so tired of hearing the complaining about our worship service. <laughs> I started laughing. Because it's a spiritual battle. Charles Stanley said in the 1980s, this is what we'll do for eternity. He said, thank God we're having a revival of worship. But it's not about worship. It's about are you ready? 
And do you know Christ? I'm going to ask you to stand quietly with heads bowed and with eyes closed. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you a question. Has there ever been a time in your life that you came under the conviction of sin? That you begin to see that that sin would ultimately take you to hell? And in the midst and under the conviction of that sin, you begin to feel the Holy Spirit doing what I was doing a moment ago. You may be hearing that right now. The Bible says, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, you know what he means there. It's at night. You're sitting in your living room. All of a sudden there comes a knock on the door. Most of us don't automatically open the door. We look out the window. We see who it is. Then we determine whether we want to spend time with that person, whether we want them to come into our home. We decide that in that moment. Are we going to pretend that we're not at home? Are we just going to get real quiet? Are we going to holler through the door and say, listen, it's late, I'm already in my pajamas, come back another time. But if it's somebody that we love, if it's somebody that we love, if it's somebody who we know loves us, don't we open the door? Don't we say, come on in? For many of you in this room, Christ is knocking on the door. And He's been knocking a long time. You've looked out the window. You've seen it's Jesus. He's standing there in all of His glory. His hands are scarred. His feet are scarred because He paid the supreme sacrifice for your sin, for my sin. And He's standing outside that door and He's knocking on your heart's door and He's saying, why don't you let me come in? Why don't you let me come in and fellowship with you and be the Lord of your life? My friend, have you ever done that? Would you do it today? Would you do it in this moment? Would you quietly just look up and say, God, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin and be my Savior today. You don't need anybody to lead you in that prayer. You know what to say. Lord, forgive me and come in. Be my Savior. Be the Lord of my life. So if you're here today and you've never given Christ your life, I want to encourage you to pray and ask Him to come in. And in a moment, when our counselors are here, to come down and take their hand and say, I prayed, I asked asked Jesus to come into my heart. Now I want to talk to you that are Christians. Jesus is living in your house. Jesus is sitting at your dining room table. Used to, you used to grab your Bible and you'd run in there and you'd sit down and you'd fellowship with him. Boy, he just had all kinds of things to tell you. And you just delighted around the Word of God. Sometimes you'd look and hear that, you'd hear that knock on the door. It'd be, it'd be other brothers and sisters in Christ. And they, they, you'd say, come on in, come on in, man. Jesus is here. We're just having a great time. Y'all come in here. But now Jesus is sitting at your dining room table. You're in the living room watching something you shouldn't be watching. You didn't bring people through the dining room door. You didn't bring them through the kitchen. You brought them through the front door because you said, or you brought them through the back door. 
You brought them into the back door because you didn't want Jesus to see them coming in. And you, you say, come on in, I got, a, I got a good movie for us to watch tonight. It's just got a, hey, it's just got a couple of GDs in it, but that's all right. It's like wading through sewage to pick a flower. It's got a good storyline. It's got, it's got some scenes in it, a little nudity, but it's still a good movie. Y'all come on in. Oh, don't pay no attention to Jesus. I've got him in the, in the, in the dining room. Everybody look this way. And Jesus, you just stay in the dining room. Because I'm entertaining my friends here in the living room. He'll never do it. He'll never do it. I tell you a song we ought to start singing. It ought to become the theme. He won't relent until He has it all. He won't relent. He won't let go until He has it all. What Jesus will do is He'll just pick, He'll just, He'll just simply get up out of the dining room. He'll walk into the living room. He'll plop down right in the middle of the couch with all of you and all your friends. And He'll listen. He'll sit there right in the middle. And He'll make it so miserable. He'll make it so heavy that though you desire to sit in fellowship, you're one of His. You're His child. Tell my kids, you may rebel against me, you may go against me, but you can get ready for this. I haunt every step you take. And that's Christ. Some of you say, well, I'm, 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 I'm in a living relationship. Had another pastor, he said, man, we got everybody wanting to join the church, but they're living together. You're back there in the bedroom. You're saying, well, it's common law. We've been living together a long time. It, it doesn't matter. Things are not the way they used to be. Yes, they are. Jesus, you just stay. You stay in the dining room. I'm going to be back here in the bedroom. God will never bless that. It's adultery. Fornication, call it whatever you want. You know what Jesus does? He comes back there, and you know where he's? He just sits right there on the side of the bed and weeps. <sighs> he sits there and weeps over a young lady who gives her life away, gives her sexual purity, gives away her, gives away her greatest gift. And he weeps because he looks with his omnipotent and in his omniscient mind and he sees a man that had been created just for her. And he sees her squandering it away. He sees a young man who, who gives his gift away. Men ought to be virgins just like a girl, but he sees this young man give it away and he thinks about this beautiful, pure young lady down the road that was going to come into his life. And yet she may still come. But he's got a painful secret he's going to have to tell her. Jesus, you just stay in the living room. We're in here smoking crack crystal meth. We're in here having some drinks. Isn't that how we do him? You know what America said? Jesus, you just stay in the church. You stay out of our government. You stay out of Washington. 
You stay out of Congress. You stay out of the Supreme Court. You stay out of our government, God. And you know what God says? Drops the reins. And we're economically, we're in a disaster. Nobody, neither party can get fix it. We say to God, God, you stay out of our schools. Stay out of our schools. We don't want prayer. Don't you bring those Ten Commandments into our schools. He drops the reins on the public school system in America, JPS and schools. And now we go through metal detectors to get into the school. Stay out of my family, God. I'll give you a token something every once in a while. I may show up every three or four weeks, but God, you stay out of my family. God says to a man who's a pastor, the under-shepherd of that home, who God's a low priority in his life, he says, okay. And then finally there comes that day when we hold our fists and we say, God, leave me alone. Stay out of my life. God, leave me alone. Stay out of my life. And God says... Are you saved? Do you know Christ? If you died, would you, where would you spend eternity? Do you know Christ? Have you invited Him into your life? Have you walked Him through your house and said, Lord, this is the living room, the kitchen, this is the dining room, the hallway. Lord, here's the, here's the guest bedroom. Lord, here's, the, here's another guest bedroom. Lord, here's the master bedroom. Lord, these are the bathrooms. Lord, this is the utility room. Lord, this is the computer. God, this is my laptop. Lord, this is everything. God, there's nothing up under the mattresses. Lord, there's nothing here. Lord, you have free access to everything in this house. Listen, we're the house. Lord, you have access to everything in this house. I have nothing to hide. Comes in, he lives. And oh, what a glorious time you have for all of this life and for all of eternity. Our Heavenly Father, we pray, dear Lord, even as our counselors are coming, that if there's a man or a woman, a boy or girl, a young person here, that Christ, you've dealt with them today. They perhaps right now feel led to pray and say, Lord, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin and be my Savior, Lord. Be the Lord of my life. Lord, I pray if somebody has invited you into their life that they would come and make it public. I pray, dear Lord, for others that may say, I'm a Christian, but you're right, Pastor. There are too many things in my life that shouldn't be there. I'm watching things, doing things, associating with people. I'm, I'm involved in things that in no way are right or wholesome or pure or Christian. Pastor, you're right. I've locked Jesus. I've tried to lock him up in one room. But Pastor, today I, I want to ask the Lord to forgive me. And Lord, I, 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 I beg you to put into the hearts of men and women and young people today to spend a moment in prayer at this altar and say, Lord, here I am. I pray, dear Lord, for senior adults. Many of them, dear Lord, whose own children and grandchildren are living in absolute rebellion against everything in the Word of God. Many of them living in defiant disobedience. Many of them broken and bruised up. 
They need a grandma, grandpa that's not worried about the sound. They're not worried about worship. They're worried about the precious souls of their family that may go into eternity without you. God, get our hearts right today. Awaken us. Help us not to be lovers of pleasure, but lovers of God. God, I didn't see nobody at the Florida game yesterday, South Carolina. And I didn't see nobody at the LSU game yesterday complaining. About 100,000 people were gathered at those events, Lord. Lord, I don't see when I go into a theater anybody walking out saying, that's too loud. God, get a hold of our hearts. Our, our priorities are wrong, dear God. Deal with us today. Draw us to the kingdom. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You come. You come. If Christ is speaking to you, may never be a moment like right now. You come right now.